Hello there, welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. We're still reading Lesbian Slave Island. We're near the end now, this is the penultimate chapter that's currently available on Literotica. That's the website where I found this story. Although I'm told that the author, Fit and Trim, is working on an official publication, which I may have mentioned once or twice before, but I want to mention it again, just in case you've forgotten about it, or perhaps you really like hearing about it and you've got a bit of a thing for plugging. Maybe plugging is already a sexual fetish. Does sound like it would be one, doesn't it? Anyway, while we're on the penultimate chapter as available on Literotica, I'm certain that there's going to be more chapters released in the future and so we'll probably come back to lesbian slave island as and when new chapters are released on the platform as usual i've not read chapter 17 ahead of time don't know what's going to happen that's part of the fun of it for me is reading it for the first time out loud to you guys the subtitle of chapter 17 is i am now the only naked sex slave for five women something which i think was established already but certainly still remains true. It's a hot chapter. It's got a red H next to it for hot. And so I'm expecting big things from this, especially after the saucy chapter that we had last time. I'm hoping things are going to continue in that vein. And let me tell you, the ratings for this chapter are especially high. This is the highest rated chapter out of all the Lesbian Slave Island chapters with a solid 4.68. Just to give you some context, the last chapter was a 4.51, so that was a good chapter, but nothing compared to this in terms of ratings. In terms of its other stats, it's had a significant pool of readers, uh, similar to the last time, 26.3 thousand. It's had 14 likes, and there are two comments to enjoy at the end. To recap on last time, Lisa was adorned with many of her harnesses and clamps, and in particular she was made to wear an anal hook. And once she was all gussied up, they took her for a walk around the island. And since she had the anal hook inserted into her anus, she had to walk around sort of on all fours, although not on her knees, because they'd forgotten to give her the knee pads. So she was walking around a little bit like a horse, which we know is one of her fantasies, and things got pretty heated with the five other women getting involved, running in and out of the house with new things to add to Lisa's humiliation. There were some especially saucy moments with Gloria, and for the first time she touched Lisa right in the genitals, inserting a couple of fingers at one point, and no surprises, Lisa was very wet and aroused by the whole situation. She then progressed quite rapidly to sticking a big dildo into Lisa's mouth and quite forcefully throat-fucking her uh, with the dildo, to the point where I started to feel a little bit sorry for Lisa because she was gagging and nearly puking. Um, That's how rough the oral invasion of that dildo was. Still, Lisa seemed to be coping well, and things came to a conclusion in that chapter with a dildo held by Stefania sliding towards her sopping wet pussy. So it seemed like things were finally going to progress to some sexual acts, the like of which we have yet to see in this story. 
but now we're all caught up. Let's see if things continue in that vein, or if Lisa is going to get a little breather and things are going to cool down for her. Here is Chapter 17 of Lesbian Slave Island. We remained near the villa for the first few weeks of my fantasy come true. And what a fantasy! What a situation! Five free females, and I their only sex slave. They wore clothes as they liked, ate and drank whenever they liked, and did whatever they liked, especially with me, their nude plaything. Though I was their slave property, I was not a passive participant. I wanted all this. I too initiated situations and activities. I worked with my owners and mistresses to come up with ideas. I talked with each of them to learn what turned them on, and vice versa. This was my fantasy originally, after all. They were the ones in charge, however. They were free, while I, in contrast, was the only one always naked, always aroused, always wet. I was the only one who had to obey. I was the only one erotically humiliated, whipped, pinched, whimpering, crawling, bowing, tied and eating from bowls on the floor. I was the only one who was an utterly owned sex slave. Yes, they could do what they wanted, and I, the sex slave, had to obey. However, taking the larger view, I was doing what I wanted too. I had clearly and firmly set all this in motion. I was living my dream. Yes, I more than loved being the only naked, and usually bound, plaything of these five women. I was in ecstasy, and agony. It wasn't easy. I desperately craved orgasms. They continually brought me close, but not over. It's called edging. Sometimes I cried when being denied after a long build-up, my hips writhing and thrusting in longing. Some of them loved to have long sessions in which they repeatedly brought me close to orgasm and suddenly stopped, over and over and over again. It was a thrill for them to watch me gyrate vainly, moan and beg in desperation, and to see my loins and thighs coated in sex juices. They confessed to enjoying this method of power-tripping. Yes, I had influence and was a co-creator, but they had true control. They loved seeing my various emotions, including crying. Edging me was only one way to induce my emotions, but a favourite way. My emotions were an entertaining drama show, and one of the ways they proved they really did own me a concept that aroused all of us, me the most. This orgasm denial also kept me the way they wanted me, in a state of constant lust-crazed heat. I couldn't help but be aroused by the erotic humiliation of my loins constantly exposed, especially when dripping sex juice. They all knew and loved that I was aroused by the humiliation of streams of sex juice on my thighs. That was exciting proof that their lesbian total sex slave was supercharged to serve and entertain. I wanted them to keep me sex crazy. It was difficult, but such frequent near-orgasm ensured I would deliver on my promise to be a sex-obsessed slave, doing anything they wanted. And of course, it's wonderful to be aroused. Another important effect of edging and orgasm denial was psychological. They were in control of my orgasms. I had to please them 
obey, earn and beg for that rare orgasmic bliss. One of the rare occasions I orgasmed, it was explosive. Sometimes I had to exert all my concentration and discipline to avoid orgasm. The effort to avoid orgasm without permission was challenging. In such an extreme and constantly heightened state of arousal, it didn't take much for me to orgasm. A light flick of a mistress's finger, the slightest movement of the dildo inside when I was in the top of the stool bondage, or application of labia clips near my clitoris, could trigger waves of sensations. My owners and I dreamed of when I would orgasm without touch, simply from being in a mind-blowing submissive situation, such as extreme humiliation or a whipping session. That touchless orgasm didn't happen in the first week. What did happen over the next few days and weeks can be split into these categories. Nutrition. I went through a diet adjustment. Slight headaches for three days, a kind of withdrawal from sugar and other junk foods. I was already into fitness and health and ate healthfully, but too often treated myself. As the sex slave, a treat became foods like the inner tender celery stalk instead of the tougher outer stalks, or black beans with mild spices instead of plain. Fruit was by far the best treat, my dessert. That's as it should be anyway for all humans, Gabriella would often say. Gabriella, the nutritionist, made certain I consumed diverse nutrients, even hand-feeding me a couple of supplements daily. These supplements were of the highest quality and designed for vegans. Gabriella also made sure I drank a lot of water, mostly out of bowls on the floor, of course. I suppose I gained some nutrients too from all their sex juices. Sometimes when I whimpered about food, they would help me get past my pangs by letting me drink lots of water, which had the extra benefit of making me pee a lot. I was excitingly humiliated to have to pee while any of them watched. Sometimes, usually when my pee was so diluted it was basically water, I'd be ordered to lap it up for added erotic humiliation. Other times I begged or whined for food, they'd give me lots of raw celery, cabbage, carrots, broccoli and the like. Super healthful and filling, and gave me the satisfaction of chewing a lot. Yet other times I would be ordered to suffer through my hunger pangs. Other times they'd order me to beg piteously, but then deny me. That was another way to prove to all of us that I was truly owned and utterly their slave property. Exercise helped somehow to reduce the feelings of hunger. Activities like crawling, serving as pony slave, gardening, pony prancing practice and many other forms of exercise were ordered. I myself suggested exercise sometimes. Sometimes I'd be hangry, but was usually successful in maintaining obedience. When I wasn't, my hangriness sometimes entertaining them, especially the harsher Sasser and Stefania. They would of course usually discipline me, sometimes painfully. The combination of so much exercise, chores and withdrawal from sugar made me quite meek. I endured times of wearily, weakly stumbling along, humbled and obedient. Another way to push me past hunger, chew toys. They would say, eat this slave, and push a dildo into my mouth, or order me to suck and chew on a dildo glued to a wall or floor. Anything I was fed tasted very good, even the raw, tough vegetables. 
My taste buds adjusted to the point I could appreciate subtle flavours. I no longer craved sugar or animal fat. I found I didn't even want a taste of fatty sweets like ice cream, partially because they no longer held as much appeal. Frequent hunger helped me appreciate any food, and these intermittent fasts slimmed me, calmed me. Once I was used to them, they helped me think clearly. I even perfected my blood metrics, like cholesterol and glucose. My owners and mistresses all enjoyed the food power they had over me. We all got off on my begging. There were many times that my hunger created a sense of powerlessness and subservience. It made my slavery real, and that's what I had craved to experience in my fantasy. Why am I so aroused when I am hand-fed or begging for a morsel? It's that incredible sex fantasy that powers up my libido. It's probably from an association in my mind-sex system from years ago. I don't yet understand fully why, but it's simply true. Powerfully true. I was already slim, but I became super lean and muscled. Fitness. All the exertions required as a constant centre of sexual attention of five women were fantastic for my physical fitness. Quite quickly, I became even more lean and fit. The progress was fast indeed, because I was serving as a total sex slave 24-7, and as I was the only slave for five, much physical exertion was required. While Gabriella oversaw my nutrition, it was Sasser in particular who took it upon herself to be my fitness trainer, driving me hard. For example, when I was their pony slave, pulling any of them in the cart, it was often Sasser who used the whip most unsparingly. She also did weight training with me. Sasser and I loved deltoids, perhaps the sexiest part of the body, we felt. So we did many dumbbell flies. In summary, I lost fat and I built muscle. I was not at all skinny, but I became very, very lean and muscular, in a feminine way. Sex Slave Training It's not only training for the slave. Owners train too. As the sex object, I have many ways of influencing, leading and training them too. We work together, as show horse and rider do. Owners and mistresses need to grow in skills too. Topics include safety, health, fitness, designing delicious situations, psychology, emotions management, bondage gear use, maintenance, and even design and erotic discipline. That first day I met Gloria and Stefania, they experienced training too. That evening, they experienced their first BDSM slave whipping. It was the first time they'd seen in person anyone whipped, anyone wanting to be whipped, and whipping someone themselves. Helen and Sasa had gained experience whipping me, and shared their insights with the newbies. Stefania was wide-eyed and nervous at first, but soon loved torturing me. I was happy she enjoyed it, though after a while I nervously noticed she enjoyed it so much. Gloria understood the erotic forces at play, and was clearly aroused. In contrast to Stefania's wilder energy, Gloria's whipping style was paced, thoughtful and accurate. Their first lashes were gentle, but with Helen's and especially Sasser's encouragement and coaching, the three new mistresses soon had me howling and quivering. Helen, Sasser and I reassured them that this was an integral part of it all, and very sexy. When they heard even me say that, 
their misgivings vanished, and they got into it. Mmm, yes. Sure, it was difficult for me at times, but it made me so wet. Relationships I was almost always with at least one of them, almost never alone. Imagine being always naked among your usually clothed owners, hand-fed, adorned in a collar and leash or biting nipple clip, always sexually aroused and usually wet and dripping, often made to kneel and lick their hands and feet, suck a dildo, and respond with, yes, my owner, or yes, mistress. Over time, I moulded into the mindset of being really owned, exactly what I wanted to experience. Over time, two contradictory relationship trends developed. I became emotionally close to each of them, simultaneously and paradoxically, our roles, they as owners and I as totally owned property, also deepened. I became less than equal, an owned animal and sex object. Situations are powerful. And it was because of our roles, and all the sex, that we became emotionally close. I now had five different girlfriends, and with each personality a different relationship. I'll get into the differences in later chapters. Part of my status as owned property was mental and emotional. It's not only physical and sexual, especially when it's over such a long time period. I had agreed in my contract I must share my thoughts and feelings, especially during one-on-one -on -one times, as I had to open up my mind and heart, each owner and mistresses could and did ask me anything. As I opened up, each of them felt comfortable opening themselves up too. Deep relationships indeed. The owner-slave contracted situation made this wonderful, and otherwise unlikely, vulnerable sharing and emotional bonding possible. Now back to the details of that day. You remember how I just wrote that sometimes I'm the influencer and leader? Well, going back to moments in the middle of that day Gloria and Stefania came into my life, I didn't do much influencing. It was I who was being influenced. Gloria continued to teach me how to deep throat. I kept gagging and pouring saliva. My gag reflex is fairly sensitive. Therefore, Gloria began to be more patient. She would slowly push the dildo towards the back of my mouth and let me breathe, and she would count slowly to ten. Or rather, that's the number she worked towards. I would gag before ten, but after a while, I worked up to eight that session. I was grateful they were patient with me. Sasser adored seeing and hearing me gag, cough and drool. She encouraged Gloria to push deeply and hold the dildo in. When Gloria pulled it out quickly, a surprisingly large quantity of saliva gushed out. Sasser bent down to smear my saliva all over my face. Gloria, I'll help you train her to be an expert dildo sucker, offered Sasser. I hope it takes a long time to train her, because I love it when she gags and can't control the drool. Gloria smiled at Sasser. Nodding, Gloria agreed. It is hot when the slave is drooling. So submissive. Sasser and Gloria's words aroused me. I loved that playing with me aroused them so much. That, of course, was very important. A win-win situation. Stefania's hand-held dildo's head touched my sopping wet vagina. I would have moaned, but for the dildo pumping in and out of my mouth, Stefania slowly slid it a little deeper in. Sasa cautioned Stefania not to let me orgasm. I did manage a soft wail of frustration 
when Stefania pulled it out and paused, stopping to listen to Sasa. Watch for her breath, her body tensing, she explained. I was teased to near-orgasm so many times I couldn't count, repeatedly gagging and salivating on the dildo working my mouth, feeling hands on my derriere and fingers toying with my nipples. Eventually, Stefania and Gloria changed places. Stefania winked and grinned at me before she pressed the dildo sideways onto my lips, coating my lips with my very own sex juices. I was in such heat. I wanted it so badly. I flicked my tongue to taste my juices from the dildo. I moaned, mmm, and began long licks. Stefania was delighted and stroked my hair while saying, what a good, sexy slave. I smiled at my young mistress, who grinned back, pulled the dildo away, and moved one finger towards my mouth. I eagerly leaned forward to hungrily suck it. Stefania giggled at first, then lightly moaned. Gabriella produced celery. Sasa broke off an outer stalk and said, The tougher outer stalks are for the slave, and we get the tender inner stalks. She handed it to Gabriella, who beamed with happiness as she began to feed me. I bit off the end and began chewing. Sasa added, Chew it slowly and well, sex slave. You aren't getting so much food any more, and you'll need to digest every piece of nutrition. I glanced at her, not entirely happy about that. Sasa's smile seemed a bit like a smirk to me, and it was clear she was loving her dominance. This actually aroused me. Humiliation. Fantasy made real. Sex slave. As I chewed, Gabriella and Sasa's advice was good, especially because this outer stalk was more difficult to chew than the soft inner shoots. I was also fed raw red cabbage. It was symbolic of my slavery that my treat or reward would be to be fed the inner tender shoots of celery. I have to say, I found these filling. Lots of fibre. As a treat, I was fed half an apple. These hand feedings were often accompanied by hair stroking, breast fondling, and if someone else was behind or beside me, back caressing and derriere petting. I moaned in pleasure. Therefore, the emotional bonds between us grew. Of course, other times, such as later that day at supper, feeding times were much less tender. When I was made to serve supper as the only one naked and had to eat and drink out of bowls on the floor without use of my hands while they sat nicely dressed, and eating food that was cooked and tastier and smelled fantastic in contrast to me naked on the floor eating raw vegetables, I felt differently. But both ways aroused me. My arousal just kept growing either way. A long, exquisite, sopping wet, lust-crazed day for me. It was a long, long time they enjoyed making me suck, lick and kiss and gag on the front dildo. They used the rear dildo expertly to bring me repeatedly near to orgasm. The anal hook, tied to my hair, kept my head up and my anus stimulated. Hands caressed my back, hair and stimulated my breasts. They toyed with the nose and nipple rings. Hands and fingers also scooped up my flowing sex juices and saliva. I was ordered to lick suck and drink them. Yes, literally drink, because Gloria accumulated enough quantity of my sex juice and saliva in a Lisa cocktail 
to fill a small cup. I was touched and aroused when Gloria took a sip herself and declared it tasty. I panted and oozed more juices. I whimpered and moaned as I experienced near-orgasm after near-orgasm. Eventually, they gently pulled the hook out of my anus and helped me stand up. The hook's leather string remained tied to my hair, so the hook humiliatingly swung behind me. I looked down to stretch my neck, and was embarrassed but excited to see the rivulets of sex juice that had streamed from my sex spot down my thighs. My face, especially my chin, remained covered in my saliva and sweat. No one cleaned me because Sasser declared she loved all this moisture on her slave. Sasser and Helen then demonstrated how to tie my arms behind my back in the reverse prayer position. This reverse prayer is particularly humiliating and bending of the arms. My hands and fingers pointed up behind my upper back, so helpless. We took a walk and posed for pictures. I even smiled as if I were also clothed and free, instead of naked and wet, with arms tightly and humiliatingly bound up behind. Stefania particularly enjoyed this picture session, putting her arm around me, grinning, and giving the V sign, pinching my nipple. Later at supper, they had a small container of Lisa cocktail as a flavour enhancer, but most of it was fed to me. During supper, the discussion turned to the evening and night plans. Helen and Sasa explained that the three new mistresses must initiate and be initiated. The whipping ritual, prescribed and described in my own slave owner manual, was important. They and I must physically and emotionally learn the stark reality of their dominance and true ownership of me. The whippings were long and hard, and after yelping, writhing, grimacing, whimping, and some crying, I was released, and my hands bound behind. Without being ordered, I crawled, with whip marks all over, to utterly submit to each, kissing and licking their feet and hands. I repeated out loud, I was their totally owned and utter sex slave, to fully enjoy, with no inhibitions. Repeating that out loud to each of them made it all the more real. The five discussed amongst themselves the plans for the night, as I, their naked, bound and whipped slave property, knelt nearby. Next I lay on a rug, as Gabriella cleaned and rubbed healing ointments onto my whip marks. The other four sat with wine glasses, eyes constantly glancing at my nudity as they talked. Helen was the leader and my primary owner, so her decision on what was next was followed. Helen would meet with each of the other four, and me, in four half-hour sessions, to prepare for the one-on-one -on -one times each would have with me. But that would take place in the morning, after everyone was rested. Helen turned to Gabriella to delight her with the decision that tonight she could be alone with me, to use and enjoy as she pleased. Gabriella, Helen explained, as the oldest among us, and a wise, healing person, would go first. Gabriella was delighted, and looked into my eyes warmly, excitedly. Stefania and Gloria went to their homes. Sasa got time for herself to read on the patio, as Helen, Gabriella and I went to the largest bedroom. Before she left us alone, Helen acted as a counsellor, to ensure things would go well. Gabriella confessed she had some guilt and a feeling all this was somehow wrong, despite her philosophy of fully enjoying life. Helen and I reminded her 
This was not only okay, but positive, because I was living my dream, and desperately wanted and insisted on all this. Gabriella smiled and stroked my hair. You are a sweetheart, she said. I beamed at her, showing how happy I was. She grinned back. You better fully enjoy yourself, I said firmly. Helen smiled and nodded. I chose you as the first, because I trust your feelings and judgment. My only concern is that you are too easy on the slave. Be sure she fully satisfies your desires, and that you are uninhibited. Any kinky desires you may have, or that you suddenly think of for the first time in your life, should be fulfilled, she said. Helen then had Gabriella erotically torture me a little. Helen coached Gabriella to pinch my nipples and apply labia clamps. Helen praised Gabriella when she came up with the idea to clamp my tongue, and then ordered me into various revealing and humbling positions, such as kneeling legs wide and arching backwards face up with hands and feet on the floor. Helen kissed each of us good night and closed the door as she stepped out. It was interesting to see Helen and Gabriella kiss on the lips for the first time, though it wasn't that sexual a kiss. Gabriella turned to me with excitement. After ordering me to dance and pose, she sat on a chair and had me sit on her lap, facing her. Her eyes excitedly roamed across my hair, face and breasts. She held me by my upper arms, which were still behind me because my wrists were still locked together. I noticed she was trembling a little, her breath fast. She wiped my face clean with towelettes, and we began to make love, kissing, tongues dancing together. She indulged her desires and hungrily kissed, licked, and mouthed me all over as we slid onto the floor in passion. She spent a long time licking and soft-biting my derriere. Her hands could not stay off me. I loved being so passionately desired. Soon she was naked too, and I licked and kissed her lovely body all over. After a while, she couldn't hold off any longer, and her hands directed my face into her groin. I focused and did my best. She forgot her reserve, shouting her bliss. For hours, we alternated between energetic sex and gentle cuddling and talking. I started falling for her somewhat, as I would for all my owners and mistresses. I told her I hoped she would soon be promoted from mistress to co-owner. Gabriella told me she thought it was exciting that I am rarely to be allowed orgasms in order to be kept in the highest state of arousal, but she wanted to eat me out very badly. I grinned and kissed her. Mistress, I am sure I will orgasm if you do, but I have so much in me that I'm certain I will still be in heat in the morning. It's of course your decision. You own me for the night. I'll be okay either way, I said, as I raised my eyebrows in a wordless communication to let her know what I'd prefer. Gabriella smiled lovingly, and then moaned. Oh, Lisa, you are so adorable. Am I falling for you? What followed was the most amazing, shuddering, multi-orgasm that I'd experienced at that point in my life. The edging build-up combined with the loving emotive warmth and my growing feelings for Gabriella to create a supremely blissful relief of sexual and emotional tension. For Gabriella, it was a sensual gourmet feast. We talked about how exciting it had been earlier when we were alone for the first time in the kitchen. I mentioned I noticed she had seemed nervous at one point. She admitted she had been, that she was so very excited 
and thought I was very hot. She admitted to being enormously attracted to my body and my adorableness. We together decided not to interrupt our magical togetherness to ask for the keys to remove my wrist cuffs. I told Gabriella it was a special feeling to be her sex slave. She instantly told me I was far more than a toy to her. I smiled and we kissed like lovers. Eventually we fell asleep, both naked. I on my side because my hands were bound behind me, she facing me on her side, one arm around me. To be continued. Wowee, there we go. That was a chapter and a half, wasn't it? I feel like finally we got the payoff that we deserved. And crucially, Lisa also got the payoff that I think she has long deserved, courtesy of Gabriella. I knew that she would be a key character. As soon as she was introduced as beautiful and bisexual, I knew that she was going to get involved and that she would be a particular object of desire for Lisa. And I think it's interesting that the little section we had with Lisa and Gabriella was perhaps the least BDSM-y part of this whole story. Although, of course, Helen made her do a little bit of erotic torture on Lisa. It seemed like Gabriella's main thing is just to be a really nice, loving partner, just a very nurturing lover. And even though she does spend a little bit of time making Lisa dance, she does do a little bit of soft biting on her derriere. I'm not sure if there's more to soft biting than I'm imagining, but that sounds like quite a lightweight BDSM type thing. I'm imagining it means biting softly. But then despite the lack of torture and humiliation and just general sadistic, masochistic stuff going on, Lisa still seems to have a really nice time. And to be honest, her time with Gabriella, the way it's described, kind of makes me feel a little bit sorry for Lisa in her relationship with Helen. Because at no point have we had anything like as much intimacy between those two. The way they fall asleep in each other's arms, very cute. Some of the language that Gabriella uses with Lisa, it's just really nice, isn't it? It's very loving. And I wonder why we haven't seen so much of that from Helen. Maybe their relationship isn't as solid as we've been led to believe. And maybe it's the case that Lisa is now learning just what she's been missing. And maybe Helen is not looking like such a dream partner now that she's had this experience. But then again, maybe that's my own bias. I feel like I'm definitely Team Gabriella. If there was a competition between Helen and Gabriella, I'd definitely be rooting for Gabby. At least Lisa gets a bit of sexual attention when she's with Gabriella. And at last she's allowed to have an orgasm releasing all of that built-up tension from, well, many, many chapters ago. I can't remember the last time Lisa had an orgasm, if she's ever had one. I genuinely don't remember if she has. That's how long it's been. And if you've been reading this story as the chapters were released, then it's been well over a decade since Lisa has been able to release some of her tension. So no wonder it was a shuddering multi-orgasmic experience. There's definitely more to this for Gabriella than I think perhaps Lisa and the rest of the gang had in mind. Gabriella says, 
that Lisa's far more than a toy to her and even asks herself if she's falling for Lisa. So I think there's definitely a relationship brewing there. And I wonder to what extent that will be allowed given the contract that Lisa has signed up to. And I wonder also if that will make things more difficult with Gloria. But then I guess at least for Lisa, it's not necessarily within her control to make a decision not to do that. And in a way, the more awkward for Lisa, the better, because that's her jam. She loves to be humiliated and put in these very compromising emotional situations. So I think perhaps that's the reason that we're getting so lovey-dovey between Gabriella and Lisa at this point, because that really sets up this emotional context that perhaps will be used later on to make things just that extra bit more difficult and uncomfortable for Lisa in the near future. So that for me was obviously the highlight of the chapter. I thought that was a great little scene with Gabriella. There was quite a lot of detail in this chapter, I thought, about Lisa's own agency within the situation. Uh, The fact that she's not completely at the whim of everybody else, shaping this experience and making it what she wants. Like, she's also training the slave owners. I think that's an interesting dynamic that's explored here. If indeed that is true. Maybe that's just Lisa's perception of things. Because actually, I think when you look at it objectively, there's not a great deal of room for Lisa to have control. She's really kept in a very compromised emotional state at pretty much all times. And if she does disobey in a meaningful way that's picked up by any of her owners, then it's quite easy for them to brutally punish her. We've already heard about some of the severe whippings that her derriere has received, not to mention all of the painful-sounding clips and clasps that are attached to various sensitive parts of her body at times, and I think all the denial of basic things that most human beings need to feel comfortable is quite a psychologically damaging thing in terms of feeling like you're an independent human with agency in your life to affect change and control the things around you. I mean, she must be so worried about stepping out of line in case she's no longer allowed celery or half an apple or a little bit of flavouring in with her beans. You know, I think when your world is reduced, you know, when it gets so basic, the threat of losing those tiny little bits of enjoyment that you are allowed becomes an incredibly strong motivator. So I don't know how much control Lisa really has, even if she does internally feel like she does have the influence of a co-creator. I think that influence is likely to be quite subtle. I thought there was a great bit in there when Lisa talks about having to exert all her concentration and discipline to avoid orgasm. I think that's an interesting thing for a woman to be going through because I think that's the psychological state of most men, especially young, inexperienced men, when they're having sex. We've all been there, just trying not to come too quick. (laughs) And you don't often hear of women doing that. And although Lisa seems maybe a little bit disappointed that she didn't achieve touchless orgasm in that first week, I think that must be a relief, really. Because if she can have an orgasm without being touched, and she's already having to exert all of her concentration and discipline to avoid orgasm while she's being touched, I don't know, once she gets to that point where she can have a touchless orgasm, how's she going to stop herself from going over the edge? 
But clearly she is having a really good time. You can tell from all of the descriptions of her sex juice, as it's called in this story. Constant descriptions of her sex juice streaming down various body parts. Uh, There's even a really gross bit in there, or I don't know, it's gross to me, where they drink a cocktail of her drool and of her vaginal juices. I don't know if that's really sanitary or a good idea. (laughs) I don't know that that would taste very nice. Although later on they kind of use it as a bit of a seasoning on their food. I'm not trying to come off as a prude here, but to me that is a bit gross. Bit of a funny way that this chapter is divided up into sections, almost like bullet points. In a way, some of the bits of this chapter read a little bit like an instruction manual for pulling this off yourself. It's a bit of an education in how to have a sex slave and be an owner. So we had a lot of details, particularly in the nutrition section. Um, And I get more and more the feeling that Fit and Trim has some kind of background in fitness or nutrition. Maybe they're a personal trainer or something like that in their professional life. We get all kinds of details about the foods that Lisa is allowed to have. Seems like she eats a lot of celery, which is not great for you, really. I don't know if this is a an urban myth, but I've heard that celery takes more calories to chew and digest than it provides. So quite a lot of her diet there is not providing anything at all. And I don't really think that celery, cabbage, carrots, broccoli and the like that she's been eating have enough things like protein in them. Surely she should be having some nuts or pulses and grains. I know she does have beans. She mentions she has some beans which have protein in them. But she's doing an awful lot of exercise out in the garden, prancing around, doing her pony play activities. And she's also weightlifting, working those deltoids. So she's going to need quite a high protein diet. And it seems like she's eating quite a lot of vegetables that don't have a lot of protein in them. Still, we probably didn't get all the details here about everything she eats, thank goodness, because it is quite a long section already on nutrition. I think we just have to trust that Gabriella is doing a good job. Interesting that her taste buds have adjusted to the diet. And I have heard of that happening for people who give up sugar, that their taste buds adjust and kind of reset. Why is Lisa so aroused by the idea of having to beg for food? That seems like an odd association in what Lisa calls her mind-sex system. I don't know if that's a medical term in neuroscience. I don't even know if neuroscience is the right field for discussions about this kind of thing. Maybe it isn't. But there is something odd, isn't there, about the association people have particularly around food and feeling sexy, feeling like they look sexy. There's quite a lot of people who have quite negative associations around eating food and not feeling sexy, feeling gross and overweight. And sometimes that's not necessarily the reality. Sometimes people are a very healthy weight and they look fine and their diet is well balanced, even though it contains some treats. And yet when they do have a treat, They feel very unhappy with their body. And maybe that's some part of why Lisa finds the idea of being starved and having to beg for food and kind of giving up control of all of that to somebody else. 
a part of what makes her feel sexy. I mean, clearly for Lisa, her definition of what looks sexy and what is a a desirable body is very low fat, trim and very fit, you know, high fitness, almost kind of muscular. And I wonder if there's some kind of freedom that it gives her to feel like that's her default is that she is made to and it's out of her control that she's very skinny and underfed that she's allowed given this space to kind of beg for food and to ask for more in the knowledge that she's not going to be overindulged her owners are never going to let her eat too much and get to the point where she needs to worry that her eating or what she consumes will be detrimental to what she views as an attractive body type or shape or size. In a way, she's given the freedom to desire. I think there's an awful lot to unpack there. I wonder what a psychologist would make of an admission like that, that there's something sexy about having to beg for food. And I guess I'm trying to understand it from a point of view of it not really making much sense to me. I'm having a hard time thinking of things that would make me feel less sexy than having to beg for food. I have a hard time even masturbating if I haven't had my breakfast yet. In a way, I'm kind of impressed with Lisa's dedication. I mean, she d- she talks about how weak she is, how weary and undernourished she is, especially in the beginning, getting these headaches and withdrawal symptoms even. I mean, that sounds really hard. And to feel all that and then still be slamming it in the gym and also in the bedroom and then also doing all these extra little bits like being a pony slave Walking on all fours is no joke. It's really hard work. I learned that trying to do one of those military assault courses. And despite all of this, Lisa is still having a great time. And she's enjoying every day. She's building up muscle. She's become very, very lean and muscular. And yet still, she has maintained her femininity which I think can be hard when you're starving and working as a horse, pulling a cart, and also doing a lot of muscular work. It could be quite hard to maintain your femininity, I imagine. But there we are. That's a chapter that did what we have been missing out on, I think, in a lot of previous chapters. Let's have a little look at what some of the other people who read this story thought about it. We have two comments. Um... We'll start with a comment from Schlank, who we love to hear from. heard from them a couple of times. They say, Lisa is delicious as the naked sex slave who enjoys being constantly naked, ogled and punished. She is so lucky to have so many women who love her and are willing to be beautifully cruel to her. Thanks, Schlank, for that. Um, Sounds like Schlank is a little bit jealous in a way. Maybe they would like to be in Lisa's shoes. A comment here from someone I don't think we've had a comment from before, Avicia. Uh, they say, I hope you come back to this story and write more. The quality of writing improved noticeably from earlier chapters where the dialogue was stilted and needlessly repetitive. <laughs> Quite constructive criticism, though, and praising, I think, some valid improvements. I do think the dialogue has got better. We've talked about how some of the stuff in this story is needlessly repetitive and I'm glad to see that I'm not entirely alone in picking up on that. I have to say I think this was a step up 
And this chapter was written quite a bit after that really productive phase in 2020. This was written almost a year later. And it seems like Fit and Trim has really gained some skills in that time and refined their process a little bit. And so I'm excited to see what will happen in chapter 18 and if we'll continue to see improvements in the writing style, because that one is, again, more than a year after this chapter. So we're back into the casual yearly update routine after our big productive phase in 2020. But there we go, a fantastic penultimate chapter of Lesbian Slave Island. I really hope you've enjoyed this one. I really urge you to get on to literotica.com and give it a star rating out of five, leave a comment, just generally engage with Fit and Trim's work on the site. Uh, I know they've worked very hard on this story and I think they deserve some recognition and a little bit of love from their audience. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then please subscribe, like, rate, comment, engage in whatever way you would like to. It's up to you. And with that, I'll wish you a very pleasant week, as I always do. Um, Or I guess I've started doing that now. Maybe I haven't always done that, but I'm certainly going to continue doing it and I'm certainly going to do it this time. But have a great week and see you next time for chapter 18, the final chapter of Lesbian Slave Island. Goodbye. Pony prancing practice and many other forms of exercise were ordered. (laughs) Pony prancing practice.